Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. So good to be together. Welcome back home to those of you who have uh, initiated a new beginning today, and welcome to those of you, as Luke said, who have, uh, are here for the first time today. It's good to be together, and we don't care uh, what you or your life is like. We don't care if you are a conservative or a progressive or anywhere in between, or if you are pro-mask or anti-mask or Gonzaga or Baylor. How about that buzzer beater last night, right? Sheesh. Uh, if you are rich, poor, uh, if whatever, whatever your week looked like, whatever, whatever, however you think you blew it this week, whatever, whatever, we're just glad you're here. Whether you're at home watching right now or you are with us live here, we're just grateful that we can be together because of the, of the greatness of this day the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, every Lord's Day we celebrate it, but in this unique way on Easter Sunday. We hope you have a great and grand day together. And so this uh, state trooper was picking up speeders, but he noticed one car passed him, and he clocked it at 22 miles an hour. And uh, he, he pulled the driver over, and when she rolled down the window, she was an elderly woman, and she said, officer, I'm confident I wasn't speeding. He goes, no, ma'am, you weren't speeding, but it's just as dangerous to drive so slowly. And she said, slowly? I was, I was going 22. He said, well, ma'am, that's, that's not the speed limit. That's the route you're on. And she goes, oh, okay. And he said, just be careful. And so he walked back uh, to get in his car, and he noticed her passengers uh, had this rather uh, terrified look on their faces. And she said, he said to her, is everybody okay in the car? He goes, oh, they're fine. We just got off Route 127. <laughs> it's important not only to read signs, but to also know what they mean, how to interpret them. When John begins writing the biography of Jesus, he, he calls the miracles of Jesus that he records about signs. There were signs pointing to the identity of Jesus, that Jesus indeed is God in the flesh, that he was born to die, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived his life for 33 years here. He was crucified for our sins, that he was in the tomb, that he rose on the third day. 50 days after that, he ascended to the Father and to the right hand of God, and we believe he's coming back. Part of our, the communion service we have every week is not only about the past and what he's done and the powerful present he, he is for us today, but we're also asserting that we believe he's coming back, and we want to be prepared for that day. Sadly, Many in our day, like many in Jesus' day, failed to understand the signs that pointed to the identity of Jesus. So in our text today, we have the sixth of seven signs that, G that John records about Jesus. And he's directing us toward Jesus so that we will find and believe that he is the Son of God and that by believing, we will have life in his name. And so here in our text, Jesus will restore the sight of a blind man. But at the same time, that results in a, in a blindness of the men in the crowd whose blindness worsens. Verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Let me take an aside. We're not, the sermon isn't about this, but I can't help but saying, whatever you're dealing with in life, whatever your pain is, whatever your struggles relationally, financially, vocationally, emotionally, mentally, uh, God wants to use that and can use that for his own glory and for your benefit. That's just the way God works. Trust him for that. As long as is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed. He came home seeing. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees who also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, he replied. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. We are all prone to various kinds of blindness. There is the blindness that comes when we can't understand another person's perspective. There's the blindness that comes about our own sins and weaknesses, that we don't, we're not aware in of ourselves. There is a, a blindness uh, that is exemplified when we scream at refs in March Madness, are you blind? And then there's even resurrection blindness. And that scattered throughout these resurrection appearances of Jesus are signs of resurrection blindness. For instance, Jesus came out of the tomb and the first person he appeared to was Mary. And she did not recognize him as Jesus being resurrected. Um, he appeared to Cleopas and another disciple when they were walking on the road to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him. Um, when Thomas uh, heard that Jesus had raised from the dead from his brothers, the disciples, he said, I don't believe it. Um, the disciples, there were five of them. A week later, they went fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was on the beach cooking breakfast for them and they didn't recognize it was the Lord. Often people have chosen to remain blind rather than have sight. Like the Pharisees in our text, instead of celebrating this man's sight, they, they pounced on him. They do everything they can to discredit the man's testimony and to discredit Jesus himself. But the man's testimony only gets stronger the more he's interrogated. In verse 11, he just says that, 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 that this man uh, calls me to see. By the time we get to verse 17, he says he was a prophet. By the time we get to verse 38 that we're going to read here, he says, well, it was the Lord. Their demands did nothing to stifle his testimony. I was blind, but now I see. So in anger, the Pharisees expel him from the synagogue. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him 
In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. There's always a danger when a person doesn't want to investigate who Jesus is because there's a little bit of faulty sight that sets in. And the more a person refuses to consider the identity of Jesus, the deeper that eyesight happens, spiritual eyesight happens, to finally spiritual, full spiritual blindness sets in. And there's a darkening that can happen that is irreparable because it represents the heart that refuses to see or even look into the claims of Jesus. When we are born again, we have restored eyes. We have resurrected eyes. We have resurrection eyes, we could call them. When this man's sight is regained, he doesn't even look the same. Earlier, they, they said, well, it looks like the man must, must not be the same man because he has full eyes that are working now. His physical appearance changed. There's something about Jesus coming into our lives. He changes our demeanor. He changes our countenance. He changes how we live our lives, how we treat people. There's not one part of our life that is not touched when Jesus, when Jesus opens our eyes and then we, when we are willing to see him for who he is. So here are three indications that today we have resurrection eyes. Having resurrectionized, first of all, we see our sinful condition. The Pharisees thought they were right with God because of their zeal to obey him. Now, isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't all we all be zealous to obey God? Certainly. The problem with the Pharisees is in their effort to obey, they bypassed the heart. It was not an obedient spirit from the inside. It was all following all the codes of the law, all the thou shalt and thou shalt not. But inside, they were not devoted men. They were not worshipers of God. It was all external play acting. When that happens, when the heart is bypassed, such zeal for obedience ends in a confidence in the flesh and not God. And then we become prideful in our hearts. We become condescending toward other people and ungrateful for the mercy of God. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew 15, they are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. I hate overhead lights. If somebody walks in my office and flips them on, they're walking ahead of me, I turn them off immediately. You know, one of my grandkids turns on overhead. I, I flip them off. I, I like mood lighting, all right? I like softer lighting. You know, like the lighting you have on your first date when you don't want them to see all your flaws, right? In a dark restaurant. It's very effective, you know? Um, the, 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 the light, overhead light to me is harsh. It exposes. It's, it's, um, it's invasive. It makes me feel uncomfortable, ill at ease. Many people see God that way, God who is light. They see him as harsh, invasive. He makes them feel uncomfortable and ill at ease. And, and there is, understandably so to some degree, when Moses was, came, when God came to Moses, Moses hid himself from the face of God. When Job was in his pain, he cried out to the Lord, take your hand far from me and let me not be overcome by fear of you. 
When the glory of the Lord shone around the angels on the fields that night when Jesus was born, they were terrified, the Bible says. When Saul was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him as that light, and he, his life fell apart. He couldn't eat or sleep for three days. That's why, you know, this, this tension exists. The Bible says that God exists in inapproachable light. Light, light, with, the light of God represents all that is good, all is holy, all that is righteous. And, and yet the good news is that God who knows us and exposes us and reveals what's in us also became flesh to be with us. That Jesus stepped into our world. God in the flesh stepped into our world so we could approach God, that we could watch God, that we could listen to God, we could touch him, we could embrace him, and he could embrace us. We could wrestle with the teachings he has for us. This God who is so dangerous and threatening and holy and righteous is also a gracious God and a kind God and an inviting God and an embracing God. That's what stuns us about the God of the universe who knows us so deeply and so well, better than anyone. He wants to have us for himself. What a God. So that's why to keep from becoming pharisaical is so important. There are two practices that are non-negotiables to becoming pharisaical. One is a heartfelt prayer. Heartfelt prayer. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, who can discern their own errors? Now, my wife over here, she has a great job of pointing out my errors, you know, but she's got her own issues, right? And she's imperfect. And so she's going to be limited on how she helps me be a better man. And I'm going to be limited toward her and what I can point out. But God, nothing's hidden from him. He sees us. The psalmist says, you know, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Transgression. Um, we are not very self-aware, most of us. You know, we, we don't really see ourselves as other people see us. And that's why in prayer, God, what, what's here that I don't even see? Even the things I don't see where I am failing miserably, please forgive those things, but reveal to me, expose me, help me see. So heartfelt prayer, and second of all is honest community is a second non-negotiable. Now, honest community has to be rooted in Scripture truth. You cannot have honest community without loving the Word of God, welcoming the Word of God, embracing the Word of God, knowing the Word of God. This is our textbook for life. And to have an honest community means that we love the word so much that it's taught us to love one another. And we can speak into one another's lives. We can hear and watch other people and know about our own lives. And we can't do that in an assembly like this, but we can do it in smaller groups. Eugene Peterson wrote, There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. 
We can only become better with one another. No truer words. So although we've been saved by grace, we never forget how lost we are without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second, having resurrection eyes, we see the truth about Jesus. The Pharisees were standing right in front of their long-awaited Messiah. They, were, they saw the same signs other, other people saw. They, they saw Jesus' ministry unfold and living color before them. They were conversing with the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth. Yet they refused to accept the truth of who he was. Why? Well, frankly, they didn't want to. See, if you're love, trying to love somebody to Jesus, if they don't want to see Jesus, if they don't want to understand spiritual realities, you can't make them. And you can't make them ready. But you can keep loving them. You can be caring about them. But no one can make somebody else to believe Jesus. And Jesus, it has to be a personal desire. You know, for thousands of years, humanity believed that the, that the center of the universe was the earth. That the sun and the planets revolved around the earth. Uh, Ptolemy believed that. Aristotle believed that. And that view became the official doctrine of the Catholic Church in the 1600s. Now, it was then challenged... Um, it was, well, earlier than the 1600s. In the 1600s, it was challenged by Galileo, who believed that the sun was the center of the universe, not the earth. And the church threatened Galileo uh, and told him to keep quiet about it. But in 1631, he published his findings. He published a book claiming, averring that the sun was the center of the universe. And he was put on trial. He was charged with heresy, put on trial, and he was found guilty of heresy. And he was imprisoned until he died. Now, the sad thing about the trial was he set up a telescope. But the cardinals and the philosophers refused even to look into it. So his book was banned by the church. Galileo was forcibly uh, uh, told to renounce his theory and died while he was in prison. Only in 1991 did Pope John Paul II apologize for the condemnation of Galileo. How often it's been said, there is none so blind as he who does not see. Do you want to see? If you want to see, there is plenty to be seen and understood. The evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus is overwhelming. And Luke touched on that a few weeks ago. So many people refuse to look at the, at the evidence. The, the attitude is, you know, I made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. The reliability of scriptures, it's, it's, it, they stand on their own after every historical text, a test of ancient documents. Do your investigation if you have questions. Let somebody walk with you. And third, having resurrection eyes, we confess our dependence on God. In our text, Jesus claimed, I am the light of the world. Two weeks ago, Luke was preaching that same statement of Jesus a couple of chapters earlier. The primary purpose, of course, of light is to dispel the darkness. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Any culture, any community, any family, any person who does not admit dependence on God is doomed. Is doomed to his, to his own his own, his own wisdom, his own somehow schemes of life, we are blind without Christ. Let me remind you why this statement of Jesus is so fitting when he says, I'm the light of the world. And, and why restored eyes means resurrection eyes. Four reasons. First of all, 
He helps us see. That's what light does. I am the light of the world. He helps us see. He helps me see myself. He helps me see uh, things. He helps me understand the world differently. Jesus makes it possible for us to see and know God because Jesus is God in the flesh. He came to restore relationship with God, taking our sin. And so, again, there are people who'd rather be blind and they choose darkness over the light. Jesus even said there are people who love the darkness more than the light. So God in his love and creatorship has given us permission not to believe in him. But that, of course, is to our own demise. I'm the light of the world, he says. It means also he gives us life. I certainly don't need to help you understand how discouraging the world is. And I'm not going to name all the ways. All I can tell you is about six or seven weeks ago, even though we don't observe Lent as a congregation, I do personally. And so I deleted my my news apps because I was finding myself going to them all the time. Breaking news, breaking news, which is still breaking three days from now, you know? And, and I was finding myself and being so troubled within by all the negative broadcasting of news, taking me down. I was growing cynical about the world and life and people. And now this many weeks out, it's not that I'm, I'm not engaged with the news. I still read the paper. But I'm not engaged all day with it, staying in touch of the, with the latest. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help me at all. Oh, it takes me down. I still want to know what's happening in the world. And I'm better for it. It's how, health, how much more healthy it is for us to be surrounded and be invested in truth and hope and righteousness and what is good and how to invest our lives. In 1772, Joseph Priestley uh, was the one who came to understand the process of photosynthesis. That process that causes plants to grow and be green. And, and that word photosynthesis, you may remember from class, means to put together with light. It's no wonder that John in chapter 1 says that in Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. No wonder when God began creating, his first words were, let there be light. He put everything together, the physical world, the physical universe with light. It was necessary. And what the sun does for the physical world, Jesus, the sun, does for the spiritual world. Apart from him, we cannot know life, the fullness of life. And I might add, not all plants require photosynthesis. They're called fungi. Do you want to be a pale toadstool? You can be. Just stay out of the light. You'll never be a thriving plant in God's greenhouse. You have to have the sun, Jesus. I'm the light of the world, Jesus said. It means he centers us. He centers us. The sun is right where it's supposed to be. With everything orbiting around it. Now, the obvious question for you and me is Jesus, where he's supposed to be in your life. Because he is at the center, just like a hub of a wheel, with all the spokes being the aspects of your life rotating around him, the center, that he speaks into every part of your life, your finances, your marriage, your parenting, your behavior on the field or the court, on the campus, in the high school, in the elementary school, in the middle school, in your business dealings, when you're driving? Is he the center of your life? 
That's what it means to know Jesus as Lord. And we all allow him to get off center. He doesn't move. We move. And lives don't, our life doesn't operate as well. I trust that increasingly he's right where he needs to be, right where he, is, earns, he deserves the right to be. He is the light of the world, he says. It also means he purifies me. Everybody's sitting at home in the recliner thinking your house is clean and then the light sun shines through the window and you see under the stove or the refrigerator and you, or you think, I just dusted that table. And some of you are germaphobes. You get, you get up right away and you go dust because you can't stand seeing dirt anywhere. That's the nature of light. Light exposes, but also light has a purifying quality. Not only does it reveal, but it some of you have undergone certain treatments where a laser was pointed to some diseased part of your body and it purified and healed. Light does that. Even it does it to our emotions, doesn't it? That something happens in sunlight that doesn't happen when, in cloudy days or miserable long winter days. Just as Jesus changed this blind man's entire life experience, he does the same for us when you really trust his word, when you put all your faith in him. Sin has damaged all of us. All of us are rebels. I'm a rebel. You're a rebel. Even while I'm preaching this message today, I am not yet the man God wants me to be. I, 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 get, I, I, I get him off center in my life. I start getting too fleshly. And I have to, I deserve hell. You deserve hell. But praise God, he entered our realm and he loved us to himself. This one, this great God wanted to be in us and with us. Those people I mentioned earlier, you know, they didn't recognize the risen Lord. It didn't take much for him. All it took for Mary was for Jesus to hear her name, Mary. And she wanted to clutch on to Jesus. She knew he was her teacher. It didn't take much for Cleopas and the other disciple they walked along the road to Emmaus. They sat down at the dinner table. Jesus said a prayer, and he vanished, and immediately it was the Lord. Didn't take much for Thomas. Oh, he said, I'm, not, I'm never going to believe that. He saw the scar, and Jesus' hand said, my Lord and my God. And it didn't take much for John the apostle in the fishing boat. All he had to hear the master say is, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And he said, it's the Lord. And he couldn't wait to row back to shore. He jumped out of the water and he swam. How about you? How much does it take for you to make sure Jesus is right where he needs to be in your life, life and where he wants to be? Sadly, there are many who fail to recognize Jesus as Lord. The majority of us here today, I trust, Claim him as such. And maybe not you. Maybe you're not sure what to do. Please, please let us walk with you. We, we don't manipulate people. We just want to think with people. And let me say, you have to think. You ever, you ever been in the dark? And uh, maybe you have to get up in the middle of the night to go. So what do you do? You feel your way. You know your house. You know where the furniture is. You know where the doors are. And you make your way. You feel your way to where you need to go. You, know, you can't feel your way to Jesus. I've had people tell me that all my years in ministry. Well, I just don't feel that. Forget how you feel. You have to think your way to Jesus. You have to examine the evidence. You have to go with the desire to be an intelligent person, exploring what the Scripture says, why is this book so reliable, and why are these eyewitness testimonies reliable? How can I trust this? 
And let your faith then be established, not in feelings, but in the truth of this person who really walked the earth, who really died, who was really buried, who really rose on the third day and has changed the entire world. Now, for those of us who are in Jesus, let's just increase our testimony the rest of our born days. Once we were blind, but now we see. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, how, how do we say thank you? For we have sinned against our Creator, our Savior, our Lord, and you still want us. Why? I pray, Father, that we will be steeled up in our convictions. I pray that our roots will go deeper in the Word of God, that we'll be more alive in the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, for those today in this assembly that may be far from you, that will have the courage to come closer and to have an opportunity to truly see. So we thank you, Father, for salvation that we get to sing about and to be thankful for. We thank you for that salvation of the cross that we're going to remember in a few minutes. We thank you for changing our lives, for opening our lives, so that we may truly see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.